T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. We are back. It is Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you for 51 more minutes. And then you can turn the sound up on the PGA Championship. See how that works? Uh, We are joined this segment by Congressman Chris Jacobs from NY27. Congressman Jacobs, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. Uh, First question, you introduced a bill, uh, I think it was about a week ago, the Help Wanted Act to try to get people back to work. As you know, there is an issue. You you drive down Transit Road. uh, Every It seems every restaurant and store has a Help Wanted sign. What is this act and what would be the purpose of getting people back? Well, as we know, this is a a real real problem uh, throughout the country and in our area. We see uh, help wanted signs all over. We hear about um, restaurants uh, who have uh, such demand right now, people excited to be back out and about, and they just can't find workers. And uh, one of the biggest reasons for this, if you talk to anyone, is that um, the most recent COVID package uh, had an enhanced $300 unemployment benefit uh, that uh, for many people, it makes it more lucrative for them not to work than to work. Uh, And, um, you know, I voted against the COVID package most recently because so much of it had very little to do with COVID and was more kind of, COVID was the guise to push through uh, the progressive wish list of, of the left. But uh, we were coming out of the recession uh, the, due to COVID already. Uh, we knew that. All the indicators were going in the right direction. And um, we in the Republican didn't feel we needed to do this enhancement anymore because it would be a disincentive. And, and that's an, exactly what's happened. So um, what the um, Help Wanted Act uh, that I proposed uh, is doing, it's uh, simply um, reversing some policies to try to tip the incentives back to encourage people to go back to work. Uh, so it, um, it requires uh, states to, uh, once again, have a work search requirement that they demonstrate that, uh, that someone getting unemployment um, has demonstrated that they've made a genu- genuine effort to try to find a job. Uh, that had been waived in a lot of states uh, uh, at the beginning of COVID, uh, which made sense then. It does not now. Um, the other uh, provision would be it doesn't allow any longer someone to get unemployment benefits when they voluntarily left their employment. Again, that was something early on in COVID uh, that uh, may have made sense, but it did now. And we hear employers saying people are quitting uh, because they're doing the math and they can make more stay at home. And then finally, um, it, it gets rid of the general COVID 
excuse is a reason uh, to uh, to go on unemployment. Now you really have to have a specific, like you have a, a, a comorbidity and and or you for some reason can't get a vaccine. Um, so it, it, it makes that uh, the unemployment is going to be there for people who truly need it. Uh, but uh, uh, we, we can no longer incentivize people to stay at home. It's really doing a job on the economy and our ability to come back. And uh, I just I mentioned about the problems with restaurants, but it's also a big contributor to what we're seeing, which we haven't seen for a long, long time, and that's inflation. Uh, because of the fact that uh, people and production lines and so forth can't find workers, um, they're not able to put as much supply onto the marketplace, and lower supply and increased demand creates uh, price, price inflation. And that's why you're seeing, um, I mean, I just had a meeting with home builders. Uh, the cost of a, a new home right now is significantly more. So we are really doing a job on pricing people out of the market who are trying to be first-time home buyers uh, and uh, really, uh, really uh, causing a problem here. So in pretty much every sector of our economy, we're feeling this uh, both in terms of our, our businesses not being able to fully get back to uh, their action and also contributing to a inf an inflationary, essentially an inflationary tax on, on, on our people. So um, uh, and there's been several other very good proposals uh, uh, to, to do this, but uh, really it was a bad policy. We've, we on the Republican side thought it was a bad policy. Unfortunately, the Biden administration and the leadership in the Congress pushed it through. Congressman, uh, looking at the COVID restrictions that remain, uh, you know, we talked a lot about this with our first guest today, uh, Carl Calabrese, about the messaging uh, with the vaccines out there. And I see on the congressional floor, uh, the, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, is imposing fines for those not wearing masks uh, while she is at the White House maskless. How do you think it should be addressed in Washington, D.C.? Well, I think this is you're absolutely right. Um, the uh, you know there's a lot of political optics going on here, and uh, the, 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 that we in Congress still uh, can't go and take off our masks uh, when everyone knows uh, the majority, overwhelming majority of of the members have been vaccinated. Uh, it just seems to be it's the political optics. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think more generally, uh, we've had a real issue that, uh, you know, the Democrats say follow the science unless it doesn't uh, fit a narrative they want or a political agenda that they want. I mean, we certainly have seen this. Um, I think the, the Democratic Party and Biden administration have been so, so co-opted by the big city teachers unions. They know that the science has been there for a long time and it's safe to go back to school and have delayed that uh, to the detriment of so many kids uh, because they're, they, you know, they're in the pockets of the, uh, the big city teachers union who are just, um, I, I think one of the things we should realize here is the big city teachers unions are not there for the kids, they're for their own political interests, um, and, and we need to wake up about that. Uh, but uh, it, the problem is when you bounce all over the place and you don't, you're, not, you're not following science and you don't have any rationale, uh, people are going to stop listening. Uh, and uh, certainly, you know, we've seen that in New York State where Governor Cuomo keeps losing court case after court case, and the, the ruling's the same, arbitrary and capricious, that there's no rational basis for, you know, what he did in closing down gyms, what he's doing in schools, what he did in restaurants, and, and uh, I think he'll also have a real problem uh, uh, if it goes to court on this new ruling that he, or new edict he's doing it regarding uh, summer camps and, and daycare centers for the summer and that kids outside even 
at two and a half years old need to wear a mask. Um, that's just um, it's just insane. You know, before we get back to uh, D.C. politics, you are a former state senator, and I just want to know your thoughts on the situation in Albany. Uh, You know, in March, they talked about passing a bill to take away executive orders from the governor, uh, but it seems that the governor still has that executive power. Uh, Do you think it's time in Albany for members of both sides to say, you know, it's time for us to have our voice as uh, Assembly and the Senate? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a, a bit disingenuous, I think, that uh, the, the members in leadership in the Democrat Party had said, uh, you know, a month or so ago that they, they did um, reassert their legislative uh, uh, prerogative and take their jobs back, so forth. Uh, so forth. But uh, in reality, uh, in, in terms of that they uh, took back or took away those executive powers, but really it was not true. It was disingenuous because what they did is they said, Oh, you can't do new ones, but the ones you have, you can still, you know, the hundreds of executive orders you've already put down on people, um, they still hold. And, oh, by the way, you can still amend those. So, uh, you know, you can amend anything and be broader. So essentially they did nothing, and they, that, uh, Governor Cuomo has the same level of unilateral power that he's had since the beginning of COVID, when it was a legitimate emergency, um, but it was intended to be short term. So, you know, again, I think if uh, the legislature um, wants to continue to be called that, um, they should step up uh, and uh, and take back their prerogative as a co-equal branch of government. Last time we talked to you, you had just gotten back from the southern border. How do you think the situation is there now since you visited? Have you had any updates of what the Biden administration is doing at the southern border? Uh, Yeah, very simple answer. It's worse. (laughs) Um, It's worse. Uh, The last uh, data I've had, 178,000 illegal interdictions uh, over the border. Uh, So those are people that got caught. You know, how many didn't get caught? So um, that's the highest level in 20 years. And, uh, you know, typically the summer months are the busiest months. So uh, it's it's trending higher. Um, We're trending, if we keep at this pace, we'll be at 2 million illegal immigrants coming being interdicted in in this year it's it's just unbelievable uh so uh the biden administration has really done nothing uh i just signed on to a bill to say that uh, uh kamala harris the vice president cannot travel anymore until she goes to the border <laughs> that we're not going to pay for any more travel until she as she was appointed you know a month month or almost two months ago two months almost two months ago as the so-called borders are, yet she's not even traveled to the border once. So um, they've done really nothing. They've really changed no policies. It's all optics. The reality is uh, we're, people are pouring through the, over the border. Uh, we have young people that are precarious posi- uh, situations. Uh, uh, fentanyl, uh, record fentanyl coming over the border because the, the only one winning here are the cartels because they're making so much money now in addition to the drug trade, uh, getting uh, trafficking people over the border on a, just a run in the mill person will get at it's five thousand dollars so the sector i went to in one week they estimated that the the cartel was making eleven million dollars so but when you dump a hundred people over the border who have been outside traveling up from south america um, uh, it's a humanitarian crisis border patrol are going to go there prioritize that the cartel does that dumps a hundred people on the border and a mile down 
when there's no people, no border patrol, they bring all the drugs over. So they win both ways. Um, so this is very, very dangerous uh, to the people of our country. It's a humanitarian crisis for the people being trafficked. Um, but to, to answer your, your first question, it's only worse. The Biden administration continues to ignore it, and uh, the media really has got off it too, unfortunately, um, uh, because it doesn't fit a narrative. So, uh, you know, I, we're, we need to keep, keep talking about it. We are, as uh, you know, as Bill Clinton said in his State of the Union. Long time ago, we are a nation of immigrants, but we are a nation of laws. Uh, we, we want immigration, but everybody needs to play by the rules. It needs to be legally done. Also, Congressman, looking uh, at the Middle East uh, situation that played out over the last few weeks right now in a ceasefire, what did you think of the administration's response to that? Well, I'm certainly you know, heartened that the, the ceasefire um, has happened, um, and uh, I am very a big supporter of Israel. Um, they are our biggest ally in the Middle East. Uh, they are the only democracy in that area. Um, and uh, I, you know, I, I believe that the Biden administration needed to be much more uh, strong and resolute uh, that they stand with Israel uh, as an ally. Because when you equivocate, um, uh, that breeds more uh, violence because the other uh, side feels they can get away with things. Um, I, I was very disturbed by some of the outrageous things that the likes of Bernie Sanders and AOC have said about Israel um, and that it has not been condemned by the Biden administration. So certainly I'm, ha- I'm happy that the, the ceasefires happened, um, but I, I, I think there needs to be much more uh, strong, resolute leadership and messaging for the Biden administration that we stand 100 uh, percent by Israel. Um, and um, uh, that is, uh, that is the, in my mind, the right thing to do and the one that will, will garner uh, more assurance of peace in that area. Uh, you know, the, Donald Trump did a great job uh, in bringing peace to that area, negotiating along with Israel uh, some agreements that no one ever thought would happen with, with some neighboring countries, Islamic countries. Uh, we were on the right path there. Uh, I want to make sure we can continue because I I hate to see uh, the kind of violence on both sides of the border that's a result of lack of leadership. You spoke of uh, President Donald Trump and this week Congress passed uh, a commission to look into the January 6th incidents. I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I I believe I was probably the only member in Western New York uh, that was actually in the chamber, you know, during the uh, January 6th um, incident, and it was a very, very uh, scary day, a disturbing day uh, on what happened. Uh, there was many reasons for that, but one of the things I saw is uh, chaos in terms of uh, the Capitol Police. Uh, they were very disorganized, um, and they were unprepared, I felt. Uh, you know, when they first told us to stay in the chamber and then quickly said, we need to leave, uh, and then we started running down a hallway, and then they told us to turn around and go down another hallway, and then they put us in a committee room that I didn't know necessarily was secure. Um, it just seemed that they were unprepared, and, and, and not their fault. It was, you know, obviously due to lack of training, lack of leadership at the top. Uh, so this, this um, commission is much more about assuring that the, in terms of the security of the Capitol, the security of those in the Capitol, the security of the police who were harmed during that, 
Uh, and uh, I think that's very important. When police are hurt, um, we, we need to make sure we, we do everything we can uh, that it doesn't happen again. And, and so this commission uh, is truly bipartisan. It will have 10 members, five appointed by Democrats, five reported by Republicans. The commission cannot take any action without the majority of members, meaning it has to be a bipartisan decision, and no elected officials uh, on that commission. So, and the scope of the commission is really in regards to the security and intelligence uh, failures. And I'll tell you one thing I'm very interested in, the architect of the Capitol, who kind of is in charge of the whole thing. Uh, we have heard time and time again that he had actionable intelligence that was given to him several days before the incident and asked um, to uh, have National Guard deployed. Nancy Pelosi, this is, not, this is not for sure, but we've heard this quite a bit, Nancy Pelosi told them no, told the architects of the Capitol they cannot put National Guard there because she did not like the optics. Um, we, we believe when the architect of Capitol comes to testify here, we're going to find out that part of the problem was Nancy Pelosi and what she did and, 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 and what that contributed uh, to the situation and the chaos. Um, uh, so that, that's uh, really why uh, we, we did this. We all you know, witnessed the violence. We, we do not want this to happen again. I will also say I believe there needs to be a similar commission set up to deal with the violence uh, that happened throughout American cities over the summer uh, and the groups that participated in that. And uh, I, I'd say stay tuned uh, in terms of that. You, you would hope that this commission is not used for political gain by Democrats, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be very hard to do that because of the fact that you need Republicans to uh, consent uh, to any uh, subpoenas, uh, to any increase in the scope of, of this. So it would be very difficult to do that. Um, I know uh, people, uh, you know, friends say they're concerned about this being another effort against Donald Trump. I would just say this, that they've thrown everything at Donald Trump already. Uh, he's been, you know, impeached and again acquitted um, on this. So I think that uh, the likelihood of anything on that, it's more again, what I mentioned about Nancy Pelosi and some others on the other side, that I think it's going to be much more insightful what we get out of that. Uh, so uh, I don't think so. We, we certainly always need to be vigilant about this, but this is the first opportunity where we are at the table to be able to say um, what what we think should be looked at. But I think if, if, if I uh, stand up and say we, we need to make sure that, nothing, that, that what happened in our cities throughout um, last summer can't happen again, and we need to find out uh, the, the facts and the circumstances for that and those who contributed to that, um, I, I, I believe I need to be consistent in terms of also saying the same thing in terms of the Capitol and January 6th. Congressman Jacobs, I really appreciate you joining me this morning. Okay, thank you very much. Congressman Chris Jacobs from NY27. When we come back, we will have our fourth gubernatorial candidate, Andrew Giuliani, joining us here on Hardline. Welcome. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Back. It is the final segment of Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEM. If you missed any of the show, it's available online at WBEN.com and on the Odyssey app. Our next guest is our fourth New York State gubernatorial candidate, Andrew Giuliani. Andrew, good morning. Joe, so great to join you on a Sunday morning. I hope you and uh, all of the Buffalo listeners are doing very well. Andrew, it's great to have you on, and my first question will be the same I asked to the other three, and that is, what pushed you or drove you to want to run for New York governor? Yeah, so, look, I, uh, frankly, uh, I went down to Florida with President Trump after I finished up at the White House to, uh, to kind of get him set up there and, frankly, take a, take a little vacation as I had canceled many vacation plans with my wife while working in the White House over four years. Um, and I felt this intangible feeling, this, this amazing, um, you know, just kind of optimism. And, and I realized that's what I used to feel in New York, and it actually made me very depressed when I thought about it. And I wondered, is New York going to be able to get it back? I realized after kind of looking through some of the numbers after a few of the major donors to President Trump reaching out to me saying, look, we think that you have by far the best shot of any potential Republican to take on Cuomo or James or whoever I mean, he ends up being, um, that, that's when I that's when I looked deeper into it and I realized they're right. We do, and, and we can win. But the truth is, Joe, we need to win now. We, we can't wait till 2026. I don't know how many voters we'll have left by 2026 when you look at the exodus out of the state. And that is my next question. You look at people leaving New York State, they tend to be Republican voters heading to states like Florida, like the Carolinas. Do you think you would be able to get that independent or that moderate Democrat vote to oust Andrew Cuomo or, as you said, Letitia James? Yes. I'll tell you a story. Yesterday, I was at a farmer's market in Kinderhook, New York, in Columbia County, and we're going around buying products, taking a look. Uh... Great hospitality there. Um, there was a gentleman who uh, who was who has his own farm. Who is he said he said he was a bleeding heart liberal. We talked for about five minutes, and what he said was he said, you know what? I really like your policies. They're business friendly because he's a businessman as well. You're, they're business friendly, and my business has really struggled for four months. Um, I would consider voting for you. I want to keep on hearing. I think that's what Giuliani policies would bring. To, uh, would end up bringing to New York State. So I really do think that we can cross over and not just rally all kinds of Republican support, but certainly independent and Democrat support as well. You know, looking at the last you know few budgets in New York State, looking at the debt New York State is in, what would be your plan to turn that around and not only uh, decrease the uh, the debt in this state, but maybe bring back some of those voters that left because it's too darn expensive to live here? Yeah. Um, you know, look, I think first and foremost, we need to deregulate, right? I mean, that, that's one of the things that as governor, you have the power to do. Um, you, you, can, you can deregulate. And, and 
the truth is, I'm not naive, right? We understand that New York is now the highest tax state. That's until California continues to compete with us and raises their taxes even higher. Um, but, you know, that's going to take working with the legislature. It's going to take working with the Assembly and the Senate, which right now is a supermajority. I don't think after a red, red wave here in 22, it'll be a supermajority, but it's still probably will be, will be opposed to, to uh, you know, certainly one of, one of the branches. So day one, we're going to deregulate. We're going to stop this war on our small businesses and our medium and large-sized businesses. New York needs to be job creators, not make Florida job creators, which Governor Cuomo has done, and all of our elected officials in Albany just seem to do this. They seem to think that we're just going to over-regulate and over-tax, and somehow people are still going to stay and create business in New York. It doesn't work that way. Let me tell you, because you, you, you said, you know, if he ran, ran against Andrew Cuomo or Letitia James or whoever the Democrats put up, do you think there is a good chance that that candidate will be someone other than Governor Andrew Cuomo? Joe, I, I lost your mid, mid-question. I heard James and Cuomo uh, or whoever, whoever they brought up. I, I assume you're asking if, if, uh, if we think we could beat Andrew Cuomo. Do, do you think you'll be running against Andrew Cuomo? Do you, what do you think the chances that he will be running for a fourth term? I think he absolutely is going to run. you got to remember, this is Andrew Cuomo. The thing that scares him is irrelevant. And if Andrew resigns, Andrew Cuomo, he becomes irrelevant. So I think he absolutely is going to run for a fourth term. Um, I don't know how to handicap that race. I do think it's close. Um, uh, but I would expect it to be Cuomo or James. You know, I, I have been uh, lighting a candle in church and praying Phil de Blasio has illusions and grandeur to run for governor. He did actually run for president, if you remember. I think he got like one one-hundredth of one percent support. So I expect... You know, it would not surprise me if he does that, and, and I certainly hope somehow he can get a little momentum because there's nobody I'd love to run more than uh, de Blasio. Although Cuomo, i got to tell you, you know, I think we've been doing a great job as a campaign, but the guy who's really helping us out a lot is Andrew Cuomo. He continues to just put out these horrendous policies that show he doesn't care about the other 19.5 million New Yorkers. He only cares about people with the last name Cuomo. You know, we look at uh, New York City under your father's leadership and what has happened to New York City since then. What what have you learned from the way your father ran New York City that you could attribute and you could bring to the governorship of the state of New York? Yeah, to simplify it just uh, in a couple of minutes here, I think the most important thing that government can do is protect its citizens, right? Protect its citizens. The second, and probably equally as is important, is get out of the way. You know, too much government, over-regulation, as we discussed, you know. Uh, think about the, the bloated teacher's budget uh, that, that we've seen from the UFT. You know, Andrew Cuomo came in office saying he was an advocate for school choice. Well, we saw in this most recent $212 billion budget, I don't even know if I'd call it a budget, just how much he thinks about the, uh, the teacher, uh, school choice movement. He did not raise the cap from 460 statewide. I know that's a big issue in Buffalo, I know it's definitely a big issue in Syracuse or New York City. Um, and, and it just shows, again, that uh, all he really cares about is making sure that he holds on to his power, and that was his way to do it. Now, you were a member of the uh, the Trump White House. Have you mentioned this to former President Trump that you, before you announced your intentions to run, and did he give you any advice on running for office? Yes, President Trump and I we spoke actually a couple of days ago. Um, we spoke 
spoken a, a bunch of times over the last month, and he's given me great advice, you know. I mean, I, I'm very, very proud of the four years that I served in the White House. Uh, I think some of the best presidential policies of my lifetime. You know, when I talk about deregulation, this is something that I learned from President Trump in the White House. President Trump's campaign promise was for every regulation I sign, I'm going to cut two. That number ended up being 12 to 1. Um, and, and we saw what, what the results of those policies ended up bringing. You're talking about the lowest Hispanic unemployment in the history of our country, the lowest African-American unemployment in the history of our country, the lowest Asian-American unemployment in the history of our country, and the lowest overall unemployment rate since before man walked on the moon. I have to tell you, Joe, that doesn't just help red New Yorkers. That will help all New Yorkers. And, and, that's, and that's, that's truly, I think, something we need to learn from the Trump administration. You know, we just talked to Congressman Chris Jacobs, and we were talking about this unemployment insurance. If you were sitting as governor of New York right now, uh, would you be one of the states to tell the federal government thanks but no thanks and stop that unemployment insurance? Um, you know, look, I, I think uh, I just heard unemployment insurance. Sorry, I'm, I'm in a little bit of a bad area. Would you mind repeating the question, Joe? I apologize. You know, we have we have states like Florida and Texas that are backing out of that unemployment insurance uh, starting in June. And if you were sitting governor right now, seeing the help wanted and the, the restaurants that have to adjust their hours because of people not coming back to work, would you be one of the states that would opt out of the unemployment insurance? Absolutely. 100%. Look, I mean, there's no motivation for somebody who's not making uh, at least $30 an hour, really, to go to work. Um, if you're going to make more or nearly as much uh, sitting at home, uh, then, then what motivation do you have? I mean, uh, America and the free market is based off motivation. And my father realized this in New York. He created, he turned welfare into workfare. So when he, when he was mayor... Uh, when, he, when he became mayor, there were 1.1 million New Yorkers on the welfare roll. By the time he left in 2001, there were over there were under 500,000. He took it down by over 60 percent. And really, what he did was he created work programs. Right? I mean, ultimately, we want to make sure that our most vulnerable New Yorkers, who truly can't work or have real injuries, are taken care of. But we don't want people to manipulate the system. And I think that's where government needs to be a lot better. We, we just we just Kind of ignore, uh, and we and we don't we allow people to manipulate uh, the system. That that's going to stop under a governor Giuliani. Now I got to ask about the previous three that were here on Hardline. Your three opponents: uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, Rob Astorino, and Joel Giambra. Uh, what do you think of your three opponents? And do you think we could see a debate between the four of you? Well, they're all friends of mine. You know, look, I look at it this way: we're all going to be working to save New York over the next fifty years together. Um, so, you know, look, it's, it's, like a, it's like a brotherly competition is the best way to put it. I'm sure they think they'll be the best nominee. I, I certainly believe that I'll be the best nominee, and I look forward to making my case to all 19.5 million New Yorkers. I've seen some of the early numbers where it looks like we are doing very well from a polling perspective. And, uh, and the truth is, I have nothing bad to say about those guys. I think we're going to be pushing pretty similar policies. Um, so, look, what I, I look forward to debating anybody. You know, what, when you grew up, uh, in, in my dad and mom's household, my mom too, they're fierce debaters. Uh, and so, you know, you, you better learn to have facts to back up your position. If not, um, you know, it's going to be pretty quick debate at home. <laughs> you know, we, we look at the last time a Cuomo lost a New York election, and that was to George Pataki, uh, who beat Andrew's father, uh, Mario Cuomo. 
do you have any similarities with the way George Pataki ran New York State that you would run New York State? Well, I think uh, Governor Pataki, who's a, he's a good man to look up to, a very, very good man. Um, you know, Governor Pataki made sure this was a pro-business friendly state, right? I mean, that's one of, one of the major reasons that my father was a successful mayor of New York City is because he had a governor like Governor George Pataki. I don't expect this governor to have quite as friendly a mayor as Governor Pataki did, um, but, but I do expect to, uh, to be able to rely on him, his successes, what he was able to do. And it's one of the reasons why New York was, was in a very good place at the end of the 90s into the, into the 2000s. You know, look, I think about it this way. Uh, in New York for a while, we were arguing about uh, the size of sodas and cigars. I look forward to arguing about the size of sodas and cigars instead of the violent crime rate and businesses leaving our, our state. Uh, I, think, I think that's what we'll, we'll be doing again here by the end of the first term of Andrew Giuliano. All right, Andrew, before you go, I have to ask you two questions not really related to the campaign, but I did, you, I did hear you on with Clay Travis this week, and you guys were talking about bringing college football back, specifically Pac-12 and Big Ten that weren't going to play until the spring season. I am a huge college football fan. So can you just shed some light on that and, and those developments for the listeners? Well, look, I think uh, here was the thing, and the truth is, first off, we have to give credit to the players and the parents on social media that went viral, and it was ones that ultimately led it. Myself, along with uh, one of my colleagues, also named Tim Pataki, no relation, funny enough, uh, brought it to the attention of the president, and the president immediately said, wait a second, these guys are not getting a seat at the table? They're the ones whose future it's going to affect. I need to listen to them. So we ended up setting a call up immediately between the president and Trevor Lawrence. I know Justin Fields were on board, two of the biggest names in college football. Um, and it kind of snowballed from there where the president and these college Andrew, I think we lost you, but I really appreciate you. Now, I hear you now. Andrew, I, I, uh, before we let you go, just a, a quick plug. Where can we, uh, it, for volunteers, where can they sign up? Where can we get information on your campaign and potentially a Buffalo stop? Giuliani.com. That's N-Y-F-O-R-G-I-U-L-I-A-N-I.com. And we're going to be coming to Erie County, Niagara County, very, very soon. I believe we're coming at the end of this week, but we're still building it out. You know, Memorial Day is a busy one, and, and there's a great event as intrepid as my grandfather flew off it. So I'm going to be a little bit in New York City this week, but I do expect in the next 10 days to be in Buffalo. And so, Joe, I'd love to come back on with you before I end up coming back. I really do appreciate your time this Sunday morning. Andrew, thank you so much. We look forward to talking to you again. That is Andrew Giuliani. He is running for New York State Governor. And I have to tell you, as a college football fan, and if you listen to the station for more than five seconds, you know that. As a college football fan, it did mean something to be able to have all the Power Five conferences playing together. You know, Brian and I talk about this a lot on the, um, on the weekday show. Just that sense of normalcy. And it was nice as we, especially here in New York, uh, were all at home, not really seeing anyone. It was, it was nice to be able to watch the TV. And again, they did it safely. 
They did. They brought college football back. They brought college sports back safely. And um, I just wanted to hear that insight. And I'm glad we were able to. All right. We have about 12 minutes left. And I wanted to get to this. And hopefully uh, he will join us next week. But Congressman Brian Higgins did speak with Brian Mazarowski on Friday. I just wanted to play a few clips from this before we get out of here. It is Hardline on WBEN. And we welcome on Congressman Brian Higgins. Uh, the reason the Blue Jays are in Buffalo is because of the ongoing border closure. It was just announced yesterday. That would be extended yet another month. Uh, Congressman, thanks for being with us. You know, this is something you've been fighting for for a few months now to reopen the border. Uh, were you expecting, even with uh, everything you've, uh, all the conversations you've had over the past several months, for this to be extended yet another month yesterday? Well, I expected the uh, category of essential traveler to be uh, expanded to include property owners, to include, you know, people who have been separated, who love each other for, you know, well over 14 months and for business transaction. Uh, you can do that uh, safely and successfully because what we have now <clears throat> is what we didn't have for most of the past 14 months, and that's a vaccine, which is very, very powerful medicine against COVID, uh, you pose a very low risk uh, if you've been fully vaccinated of getting COVID or giving COVID. Even uh, you are protected against the variants, and that is the guidance that has come most recently from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, that has been, you know, uh, offering uh, uh, public health protocols uh, recommendations uh, for the past 14 months, and it just goes to to, to, to underscore. And I don't know that people fully realize this, and I don't know the media has done a great job with it, how, how much of a game changer the vaccines are. You know, truthfully, last year I was skeptical that they'd be able to develop uh, a vaccine, a drug, a, a treatment, a therapeutic uh, for COVID as quickly as they did. But they did. And, you know, when you consider the seasonal flu vaccine, it's about 45 percent effective. These vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna uh, in particular, are 95% effective. That is why uh, CDC, uh, you know, made the announcement last week uh, that you didn't have to wear a mask, you didn't have to socially distance, uh, and and that this, you know, medicine, this vaccine, is a very, very powerful uh, drug against uh, COVID. Yeah, it seems like finally uh, we're getting that realization with the CDC announcement of how great these vaccines are, something doctors have been uh, trying to get across for uh, several months. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But uh, this idea of the border opening, even for a vaccination appointment, it seems like it's tough to even get this going. And it's not just on one side of the border. You're asking New York to open uh, COVID vaccine appointments to Canadian residents. On the other side of the border, while you have all these incentive programs going on here, uh, the Canadian government has said, if you go over the border for just a vaccination appointment, you come back and you have to quarantine for two weeks. Not much of an incentive. Well, it isn't. And, and you know, you're, again, I think what, what the Canadian government is failing to realize is that, you know, this coronavirus has been with us for a long time. It's going to be with us for a long time. All viruses mutate, and they mutate many, many, many times. So what you can hope to do in a public health crisis is to manage the risk. 
And I think we've reached a point at which we are managing the risk, uh, and those who have been vaccinated uh, pose a, a low risk. So in other words, uh, right now, uh, Canada, only 4% of their population has been fully vaccinated. They have problems going back, back decades where they drove the pharmaceutical industry out of the entire country. So Canada does not produce one dose of vaccine for COVID. Uh, so everything that they do, they depend on other countries to supply them with, including that, that of the United States. But the point is, that 4% of the Canadian population that's fully vaccinated, there's no reason why they can't cross the border uh, safely. Again, their risk of giving or getting COVID is very, very low. That's not my opinion. That is the, that is the conclusion based on the science, the facts, the data uh, from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Almost uh, 40% of Americans have been fully vaccinated. They should be able to cross the border. Now look at the European Union. It's a, it's a, it's a European block of 27 countries. They are now allowing Americans which they didn't last year, to travel freely into uh, Europe without quarantine. Why? Because they are protected. Uh, they're protecting themselves, but they also uh, are protected from you know, giving COVID to somebody that isn't vaccinated. So uh, the reality is, if you're vaccinated, again, you, you could not have a more powerful tool against giving or getting COVID, and therefore you whether it's 4% or 40%, should be able to uh, travel. You know, the, the Canadian Prime Minister has said that he wants Canadians to be 75% fully vaccinated before you can open the border. Well, you know what? That may be never, uh, particularly when your country isn't producing one dose of a of, 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 of vaccine for COVID. So these are unrealistic expectations, and I think it's unfair to the people on both the U.S. side and the Canadian side that, you know, the... <laughs> These leaders just get up and they say, well, it's going to be closed for another 30 days. That is Congressman Brian Higgins. If you'd like to hear that interview in its entirety, it is at WBEN.com, also on the Odyssey app. My thanks to Carl Calabrese, Dave Leventhal, Congressman Chris Jacobs, and Andrew Giuliani. If you missed any of this show, it is also available online at WBEN.com and the Odyssey app. We will be right back here with you tomorrow morning, starting at 5 a.m., a new morning with Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski. Then BMAZ and Beamer, 9 to 10. At 10, David Bellavia. At 2, Tom Bowerly. And at 6, Buffalo's Evening News with Tom Puckett. Buffalo, I hope you have a great Sunday. I hope you have a great week. We will talk to you tomorrow here on WBEN.